Well, good afternoon, Crosswalk. Man. Oh, thank you. Wow. Um, man, a lot of you showed up at noon. You sleep in today? What's going on? No, thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Like, I, I wasn't sure. Um, but, but thanks for this. I got to tell you, there's, there's a lot happening in the crosswalk ecosphere. Um, one of the things that I think we should, we should all know about is that um, a few weeks ago, Crosswalk Chattanooga moved into a new venue, and it's actually called Venue Church, and they moved there, and I, I was blessed to be able to preach there their first week in this new place. It's a little closer to where they wanted to be. Their numbers have grown since they've been there. It was really amazing. And um, they got some bad news eight days in, and that was that the building was being foreclosed on. The, the church that owns the building was not able to keep up, and so the church was being foreclosed on. I got to tell you, God has been opening doors over the last two weeks since that was announced, and they just had a church and business meeting, which is the first time they've ever done that, like a real adult church. Um, they, they had this church and business meeting, and they voted to ask the conference for a loan and to pull the money together and grow their ministry. So they're looking to perhaps, we're not sure, they're looking perhaps to buy this building, which is something that two weeks ago was like not even on their radar. So we need to pray for that community um, in, in your moment of prayer, we need to ask that you pray for Crosswalk Chattanooga, that either, you know, everything works out and they should have this building or that God stops it real quick so they don't, they don't get into debt. But um, that's a pretty big deal. I was, on, I was on a call with our group in Melbourne, Australia last night from 10 to about 1130, talking to them about their next moves and the excitement that God is building in their community as well. And God just continues to be doing things. And so it's really exciting. It was really hard for me, actually, to be on sabbatical and know stuff is happening and I should be involved. And everyone's like respecting my sabbatical, like, oh, no, we don't want to bother you. And I was like, no, bother me. Um, because there's a few things that I learned while I was on sabbatical, right? The first thing that I learned is I get bored super easy. Like, you can only watch so much Netflix before you're like, I don't care what happens on New Girl anymore. I just don't care. In fact, I don't know that I ever cared. <coughs> Did I say too much? Sorry. <coughs> There's one sip. Boy, Mike, thank you. Are we looking for a miracle? Like the abundance of God is just, it's growing. And this is why I love noon. There's no time frame. I can just. You guys just realized I said no time frame and you know there's lunch afterwards. You're like, no time frame. I got reservations. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I learned I get bored easily. So I started working when in the middle of it, um, but not, but not really. Like not having the grind of preaching every week was really, really kind of a blessing. The second thing I learned, and I don't like learning this. I'm kind of learning. I'm kind of learning to live without kids. Um, my daughter went back to Walla Walla. We dropped our son off at um, Southern University, so he's there right now. Um, he's been gone for about a month, and we just have one left at home, and it feels like he's been waiting to be an only child for like the last 16 years, so he seems to be loving that a little bit. Um, but I don't really like getting used to that, but you know, kids grow, and they, we, you know, our job as parents is to launch them well, and so we're seeing that happen. That's exciting. But as I was reflecting on um, kind of everything in my ministry, and it's weird because I've taken a couple sabbaticals now. I've broken the sabbatical up. Each time people have been like, is Tim coming back? Like, does he still work here? Is he leaving? Um, let me tell you the realization that I had through this time. Um, I'm called to do this. 
this is, of all the things that I do in life, and I, I've been blessed with a lot of opportunity to do really great things, this is what I'm called to do, to preach the gospel in community. And, and I'm not going anywhere, if that's all right. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, oh, thank you. Um, but I don't want to waste anyone's time. What I mean by that is that we're really limited on the time that we have in our lives and in this world, and we need to be spending our time doing the things of God, doing the things that, that are really beneficial, that grow us, that, 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 that stretch us, that, that lean us into the mission that God has for us. And I don't want to waste one second of your time. Every moment that I spend in this pulpit, on these screens, Every moment you give to me as far as attention and influence goes is sacred. So we need to do work in those moments. We need to trust that God will lead these conversations. I mean, have you ever had a teacher who just wasted your time? Like, honestly, a teacher who just you knew didn't care. I haven't really experienced some of those. Now, this is not to be confused with a teacher that taught a subject that you just genuinely didn't care about. You may have felt like they were wasting your time. Let's be clear. You were wasting theirs. Right, My Algebra 2 teacher, if I ever see him again, I'm just going to run and apologize as I'm running away because that dude, I wasted his time, right? But I want to say something else. I don't want to waste your time, but I want to make sure that we don't waste each other's time. You see, there's this other side of this coin, right? There's a side of the student who has no interest in what the teacher is really saying. We've all had the students if we've been teachers. They don't care, they're uninterested. At times they even hold what you say in contempt. In this community, we have to, every week, we have to trust one another. You have to trust that the study that I do is God-led, that the conclusions that I come to, the opinions that I have, and the things that I say to you are God-led, and that God wants you to hear them, even if they stretch you, even if, they, even if you disagree with them, even if you really struggle with what I'm saying, maybe that's God stretching you. And I have to believe that you're here with open ears and open hearts ready to receive the word. My promise to you is that I will be faithful to the call that God has put on my life. And I'll be honest about what I know, what I don't know, what I think, and what I believe God is leading me towards. But you have to be willing to be open and receptive to that. And, and we're going to live, I mean, times are contentious and they will continue to be contentious. But if you go to a church that doesn't stretch you, if you listen to preachers that don't expand your understanding, your worldview, and, your, and, and really stretch what it means to be living for God in this world, if you go to a church that doesn't do any of that, then, then really you're wasting your time. We're not going to agree on everything and that's okay. But we have to agree to trust one another that both of us have the best of intentions for the other person. We also have to believe that in the community of Christ, Christ is guiding. Christ is leading. Christ is granting wisdom both to you and to me. Christ is giving us patience, courage, and particularly, Christ is giving us strength. And strength, this concept, really leads us to the text that we're about to jump into. And it's interesting because this idea of strength is, is really kind of fascinating. We've perceived strength in a certain way, particularly for men. I jumped on social media a few months ago. And I'm not really necessarily happy about it, but I'm kind of creeping around just so you know, like, watch what you're doing. Um, but... 
But somewhere along the line, Instagram decided, and I don't know how it decided, I don't know what the algorithm is, it decided that I should be looking at lots of people lifting weights. I don't know if like it, it took over my camera and it saw me and it's like, mm, you need some help. Or, or maybe I just stayed on somebody lifting weights like for a second and a half. And it's like, you love this. This is all you want to see. Because every other thing is somebody's like lifting weights. And, and it's, really, it's really kind of, um, it's kind of strange to me. And, and I think particularly in North America, and I think weirdly, particularly in the North American church, there's this like, there's this like very, very like, I don't know what we would call it, but there's this like move towards incredible masculinity in Christ and like strength in Christ. That sounds a little weird. In fact, I've even seen like bumper stickers that are like lions, not lambs. And I'm like, this is weird. We call Jesus the good shepherd. So literally lambs, right? In fact, every time I think that, I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong. There might be a scholar here that, you know, a, a lion scholar here that um, knows differently than me. But it seems like every time in Scripture when, we, when, when a lion shows up, uh, someone, someone who is of God kills that thing. But I get it. Like, I get it. Nobody's going to, you know, put a bumper sticker on the car that's like, lambs, not lions. Like, it doesn't feel right. It's weird, right? I think we have a misconception of what strength in Christ is. And, Timothy, and Paul begins his letter, or begins the second chapter of 2 Timothy, talking to Timothy, his dear son. And he says, listen, Timothy, my dear son, I love you. Dude, you're listening. I can't believe it. A young person's listening to me. He says, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now, you understand this comes out of a discussion or after a discussion of those who have left the work of God. Paul is really disappointed in like Phagellus and Hermonogenes. I'm very bad at Greek names, right? He's really frustrated with them. Really, in fact, he's frustrated with all the brethren of the church in Asia, this Ephesus church, with one outstanding exception, that of Onesiphorus, who remained faithful to the gospel and to Paul by visiting him in prison. So he's admonishing Timothy after all this disappointment. But Paul does not admonish Timothy to be strong. He admonishes Timothy to be strong through the grace God has given you through Jesus Christ. And what he understands is that his strength does not come from himself. Rather, it comes through the grace which comes through Jesus Christ. Our strength does not simply come through our fortitude or our muscles or even our strength of simple character while all those things help. Our strength, our resilience, our hope, our grace, our love, our courage, our, our compassion, our justice, our equity, all of that comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I know that this sounds like really good kind of Christian sound bites, right? But I want to challenge you to live in a strength that is not your own at some point in your life, right? To find a resilience that might be beyond what you have in your character, in character to endure more than you thought you could through him. A perfect example of this is John Wesley. It provides a really good example. He traveled the roads of England on horseback for 50 years as a messenger, of the gospel. He would preach five or six times a day. He was in danger from bandits on the road. He was attacked by angry mobs at times. He was always poor. He had pulpits closed to him and closed against him. Physically, this dude was small. He was not, you know, 
He didn't do CrossFit, let's say that, right? He's a weak man, but nothing could deter him from carrying out God's work. He really was, as Leslie Church called him, the knight of the burning heart. Or in the words of Nehemiah, it could be said of him that the joy of the Lord was his strength. And you know something? We come from the tradition that that man put together. We come from a Wesleyan theology, right? We didn't just show up in 1844 going, hey, brand new stuff. We came out of the Methodist tradition, actually. And a lot of our theology is actually actually can be traced back to John Wesley and the work that he did. So, so this man's impact was incredible, and we still feel it today. Let's not be confused about what strength is, right? And so, so Paul admonishes Timothy, and he says, listen, be strong in the strength that comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. And then he says, listen, there's something you got to do with that, right? You have heard, or verse 2 now, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by reliable witnesses, right? Trustworthy witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others, right? So immediately the call is you need to listen to what I've said and then you need to teach what I've said. We've all been students, but have we all taken on the command to teach? When I was 15, I think it was some preacher that came for like a, um, a week of prayer or something at the school I was in. And he said this phrase. He said, Christianity is always one generation from extinction. And that stuck with me, right? This is a quote that stuck with me for like 35 years now. It's always been a catalyst for me. Who will teach those that come next, right? We have a responsibility to, of course, teach our own children, but we have a responsibility to teach everyone around us and their kids and, and let them know about the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul knew that the end was coming. Paul knew that his end was coming. And he wanted Timothy, this protege of his, he wanted him to understand the chain of transmission, right? That the gospel comes from somewhere. And that chain of transmission creates link after link from the revelation of God. And so Paul actually says this to Timothy. He wants him to understand this. So he says, listen, I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Like I had to get knocked off a horse for me to be able to understand this. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul received this word. It's trustworthy. Given to Paul, who's trustworthy. Paul is giving it to Timothy, who's trustworthy. Timothy is admonished to give it to other people who are trustworthy. Right, so what makes someone trustworthy to teach the gospel? And I think there's at least three things. There's certainly more, but there's at least three things. First of all, that person has to have an understanding of the gospel, which seems obvious, right? But not just someone who can parrot words that somebody else has said. Someone who lives the gospel. Somebody who has experienced the abundance of God. Somebody who understands what a sacrificial life really is. Right? Their call and their lives in that space. And it's interesting, right? We live in a kind of church world and, and preaching is kind of the economy of church and we all like to hear a good word. But just because somebody is a good orator doesn't necessarily mean somebody is good at transferring the gospel because it's taken root in their soul as well and they have, are able to give it away, right? We've all sat listening to great orators who didn't really understand the implications of their words or the gospel in the, their congregations. So it's not just understanding the gospel as a... As a as an intellectual mindset, it's understanding the gospel, that a gospel understood is a gospel lived and breathed and experienced. Understanding what the gospel 
can do for people, to people, and what the gospel can do with those people. The second thing I think you need to do to be trustworthy, and this is going to sound dumb, I apologize, but you need to trust. You need to trust in the gospel that it's true, that it's real, right? Paul speaks in Romans 5, and he talks about you know, suffering and endurance and perseverance. And it says it builds character and that character builds hope. And that hope will not disappoint. The gospel will not disappoint us. Right? And, and it's hard because we've all seen this. We've seen preachers and teachers who have who've been really good at what it seems to preach the gospel. And then when they don't live that life of the gospel, congregations feel deeply betrayed. I got to tell you, it goes the other way as well. When you stand up and you preach the gospel and you think it's being received by people with open hearts and open ears, and then you go home and you open up social media. This is why I got off of social media a few years ago, so, just so you know. Because I was preaching to wonderful people who I thought the gospel was taking root in, and then it was such a contentious time in our world that I would open up social media 20 minutes later, and I would see people who were sitting in my congregation saying the most hideous and heinous things to people that they didn't agree with. And I finally had to step off because I was so feeling, I had such a feeling of betrayal that they were not listening. And it made me feel worthless as a minister of the gospel because apparently nobody's listening to what I'm saying and I'm trying to transfer these, these truths and it's not changing our behavior. I hope that in two years of being off, social media has changed completely. Do you think that's fair for me to think? No, I think I'm going to be very disappointed. But I want you to understand, we've got to allow the gospel to take root, not just for the preacher or the teacher, but also for the congregation that hears. And so it's important that as you transfer the gospel, you lean into this idea of simplicity, right? Because sometimes those great orators with great words... The gospel doesn't really get transferred because we've, we've either put so much around it or we've made it so complicated, right? Who hasn't sat through a great talk that's not really done anything to him, but it sounded really good? And then we hear the testimony of someone on the screen and we realize, yeah, the gospel is true and real and it affects people's lives. Listen, beware of those who complicate the grace that Jesus gives us. Beware of those who hold back God's grace from one group or another. The simplicity of love is that it's for everyone. And beware of those who preach their issues above the issues that God has seen fit to outline for us in Scripture. There are absolutely implications for the gospel, and they do show up in the issues that we live in this world. But it begins with an understanding of Jesus. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, find these trustworthy people. And give a trustworthy message to these trustworthy people so that that chain of transmission can get another link and grow. And then Paul uses three metaphors to explain things to Timothy. He uses the metaphor of a soldier. He uses the metaphor of an athlete. Those are pretty common. He's used those before. And then he uses the metaphor of a farmer. And this is a first for Paul because Paul was not a farmer. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was an academic. Paul was a politician or a leader. He was not a farmer. It begins with, the first metaphor using a soldier. He says, endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Two things we can know right from the front. First of all, you're not suffering alone, right? Paul says, listen, I've suffered for the gospel. You're the next link in the chain of transmission and you're gonna suffer, but we can suffer together. And that's good to know, right? But the second thing that we learn from this short text right here is that we will suffer. <laughs> like 
expect that you will. And I think when we think of suffering, it's definitely different than they were thinking of suffering in the first century, right? Paul, Paul has this list, I think it's in Galatians, of, um, of what happened to him. You know, he's been beaten, beaten with rods. He was taken for dead. He's been stoned. He's been, you know, whipped like five different times. Like it's just, it's brutal. When he was thinking of suffering, he was thinking that. I wonder if we have that same sort of sense of suffering. Maybe not. But I will tell you this. When you decide to love, you have decided to suffer. You know that, right? I mean, that's what every great love song is about, right? I love you and now I'm suffering because I love you. Because I love you so much. I mean, that's what most, uh, that's what every country song is about, that and a horse or a car or something. But, um, but, but, you know, sometimes loving is suffering. Sometimes it's suffering with someone. Sometimes it's suffering for someone because of that love. And sometimes it's suffering because of that one, because of love. But we know that we don't have to suffer alone. But do assume that you will suffer. And then he says, listen, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. He's saying, you got to stay focused on your mission. you got to stay focused on this gospel. you got to stay focused on finding trustworthy people. This is your job, right? Paul is, is admonishing Timothy to stay focused on the issues of God, to stay focused on the mission of God rather than the issues that other people have for him. And i got to tell you, everybody's got issues. Everybody's got issues and everybody wants to pull you into their issues. And a few years ago, when we were really struggling with the division within the world and that sort of thing, um, at the time, one of my mentors, Rick Rawson, who used to be our leadership team chair here, said, listen, Tim, everyone wants to pull you into their trench. You have to stay above that preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really hard because I got issues too. And sometimes I want to talk about my issues, right? But we try and stay the course. And he says, listen, an athlete cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Over the sabbatical, I've been, I, I got caught up in um, American Scandal, that podcast, if you've ever listened to it. Really interesting. There's a lot of different stuff. They did a big thing on Waco. That was fascinating. The one that, was, that was, I've been referencing to today is um, they did one on Lance Armstrong, right? Like five or six episodes on Lance Armstrong. Um, and as you know, Lance Armstrong, this phenomenal cyclist, cheated and cheated pretty profoundly. And they don't let him off the hook. I think it's a pretty fair thing. But one of the things you can see through that podcast is the overwhelming pressure to win. And so he was willing to circumvent or subvert the rules, right? Paul here is saying athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules, right? And, and, and by the way, we, we can't either. In ministry, in the life of faith, there are certain rules. You can't circumvent the rules of relationship, right? Of love, of being present. You, you can't create a formula that works every time to tell somebody about Jesus. As we say here at this church, evangelism is not a, an event. It's not even a sermon. It is the orientation of the heart of the congregation. It's the way that you love people honestly, truly, and love them into the grace of Jesus Christ. But you have to earn the right to do that. You can't just start throwing the gospel at people. They'll just keep dodging it. You have to be willing to earn the right to speak the gospel into their life. And then Paul uses this metaphor of farmers, and he says, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. There's a reward that comes, and not by surprise. Like there's no farmer who plants a field of corn, and then when he harvests it, it goes, 
hey, corn, I had no idea. Like there's, a, there's a, an understanding of the reward that you're going to get. I was a youth minister for a lot of years. And when you're in youth ministry, you feel like you're just throwing good seed on bad soil all the time. These kids are not listening to you. They don't care. And I was a chaplain at an academy. And so these kids had to go to chapel. And it's fun to sequester your kids in a room and tell them they have to listen to me preach. That's the, just the best way. Right? You have chosen to be here, so it's your fault. Those kids had not chosen to be there. And I can't tell you the amount of like, really, let's face it, it was just looking at their phones even though they weren't supposed to be looking at their phones. And, and you think like, I'm, I'm throwing these pearls of wisdom down and these kids don't care. Well, here's the thing. I've been in this business for a little while now and those kids that were 15 when I met them are like 40 now. And I see some of them in my church. I see some of them planting churches. I see some of them doing incredible ministry in their lives. Not all just going into ministry, but doing, like giving themselves lives of service from whatever vocation that they've given. That's my farmer moment, to be able to see the reward that comes with a real harvest of good seed on good soil. I just didn't know it at the time. And Paul is admonishing Timothy. He's saying, listen, like stay the course be faithful, be trustworthy, and you're going to see that reward. And the reward's not for you. The reward is other people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, listen, Timothy, think about what I'm saying. And if you don't get it, the Lord's going to help you understand these things. This first kind of section of the chapter ends with the apostle urging Timothy to think deeply about what he's teaching him. Not just to think deeply, but to understand, even if it's with God's help to understand. That these things are coming from God and this is good wisdom and trustworthy wisdom. wisdom, And that they, these words that Paul is saying are to shape his ministry, to shape his life, and to shape his trajectory in the faith. But then Paul does an interesting thing. Paul says, I want you to think on these things. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. But always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, so that's setting up his earthly authority, was raised from the dead. That's his heavenly authority. And he says, this is the good news that I preach. The simplicity of that revelation of the gospel right there, I don't think you can say it in more precise and concise terms. He says, so all this stuff that I've taught you, remember this, because this is the gospel. This is the core of what motivates, what catalyzes us and commands us to go into the world and tell people not only that God is good and not only does he love us, but that he is alive as well. And then he says, listen, because I preach this good news, because of this, I'm suffering right now. I told you I would suffer with you. I'm suffering right now. I'm chained like a criminal. And then he says this beautiful phrase, right? But the word of God cannot be chained. Man, so I, I'm reading that. And it's been a while since I've read 2 Timothy. And so I'm reading it this week. And I was like, oh, I love that. And so I put that phrase into a Google search and I do it. And then you, like inevitably, when you're talking about ideas that can't be chained or can't be, can't be put in prison, you're going to come across Nelson Mandela. And I'm reading about Nelson Mandela and just remembering this guy, like for the first 12 to 15 years of his incarceration was not only in isolation, but could write one letter a year to his family and could receive one letter a year that would be highly redacted by the prison guards. This is a guy who was incarcerated for 27 years. And his ideas on freedom and love and equality could not be chained. And when Paul writes this word, I think 
by the way, from prison, right? He writes this word and you realize, man, Paul knows something that I've got to remember. Paul knows that the gospel is not contingent on him. The gospel transcends him and his situation. This is why he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him through him who strengthened me, right? He says this because he knows that the gospel transcends. The gospel is going to go flying out of his cell even if he never leaves. And so Paul says, listen, so because of this, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those who God has chosen. I'm willing to suffer anything because I know the simplicity of this gospel and I know how deep and important it is. I know that it's the foundation of my faith. So I guess the question I have for you today is this, what are you willing to suffer for the gospel? And again, I don't think we think about suffering in the same way that Paul did, but what are you willing to suffer for the gospel? What are you willing to do and not do? What are you willing to give and not give? Who are you willing to befriend for this love that God has for you? And then, then, God, then, then Paul says, speaking of trustworthy, if you can't remember all of it, remember this part. If we die with him, we will also live with him. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is important for two reasons. First of all, this is a promise of presence. If you die with him, surely you're going to live with him as well. Right? Christ is going to be with you through your living and through your dying. Christ is not going to abandon you through your suffering, through your abundance. All of it, Christ is going to be right with you. And then he says, by the way, this saying is true. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the chain of transmission. Paul is saying this is trustworthy. It means it will not disappoint. These are words coming from an apostle, someone who received the literal revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to him from the mouth of Jesus Christ. We can trust it. And then he says, listen, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. And then he says a phrase that I don't love. If we deny him, he will deny us. Feels like kind of cause and effect. But right after he says this, he says, and if we are faithful, he remains faithful. Which almost seems like he's contradicting himself from what he just said. I don't know what to do with that. But I like the second part better. So I'm going to think about that one. If we are faithful, he remains faithful. Why? Because he can't deny who he is. Because God is love. So he's going to love. God is faithful, so he's going to be faithful. God is trustworthy, so he's going to be trustworthy. That's it. Even if we fail to be faithful, God won't fail. He will continue to work for us, towards us, with us, through us, and by us. He is what we can depend upon. There's no denying that this, that with this foundation, with this firm foundation. We can persevere. We can be resilient regardless of the circumstances. So having said all that and hoping that you're trustworthy, you got to make a decision. What is your foundation? I was working at a, a church previous to this church and, uh, and we were going we to build a building for our ministry. So we tore down a chapel and then we brought in the architects and we brought in, you know, the, the soil specialists and all this and the architect came to us and he said, hey, we've got, we've got some news about building this building. 
We're like, yeah, tell us. We're excited. We can't wait to build this. And he said, yeah, um, we've got a problem with the soil. I'm like, well, what's the problem? He says, it, it's, it's got liquefaction. And, you know, I'm sitting there with a group of people in this building committee, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. And I'm looking around. Everyone's like, yeah, it's too bad. Luckily, some, some brave soul raised his hand and was like, I have no clue what that is. I'm a dentist. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so it means that the soil, like there's, there's essentially, I'm, I'm going to, somebody's going to be like, you didn't get it right. Um, there's liquid in the soil. And they said, so in order to get beyond that, <clears throat> beyond that to create a really firm foundation, we've got to go really far down. Like it's going to be a really thick foundation. And someone goes, thick, like thick, what do you, like 10 feet? And the guy's like, no. Somebody else pops up, like 20 feet? No. I'm like, are we really doing this? Somebody else, 30 feet? I'm like, come, come on, guys. No. Somebody's like 90 feet? And the guy goes, yeah, probably like 90 feet down. And we're shocked. And some same probably brave soul raises his hand, goes, is that expensive? <laughs> and we laughed and we laughed. 90 feet down. Yeah, that's expensive. To get beyond the liquefaction, to get beyond the, the moving sands and the, and, the, and the shifting soil, 90 feet down. That's how far you have to go to have a firm foundation. And yeah, it's expensive. And when I think about the foundation of our faith, it's got to be 90 feet down because we live in a world that is shaking all the time. And you know what? Yeah, it's going to be expensive. The cost was Jesus on the cross. It was expensive. The cost is everything that you are. It's expensive. But that's what it takes to have a firm foundation in this faith. That's what it takes to be trustworthy and to trust in the gospel. That kind of foundation. Paul's talking to this young man in a way that this young man wants to listen to him. And he's trying to just download all the information that he can. Do this, don't do that, be this, don't be that. He's just laying it all on. And then he says, but always remember this. Jesus Christ from the lineage of David is risen from the grave. He's alive. That's your firm foundation. The simplicity of the gospel. And when you're trustworthy and you hear that, you become another link in the chain of transmission that ties back directly to the mouth of Jesus as he explains it to Paul. What's your foundation today? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord of grace, I just want to thank you. Thank you for creating that chain of transmission from which I heard the gospel in which all these people in this room have heard the gospel. Lord, may we be another link in that chain. And Lord, may we build the foundation. I don't care if it goes a thousand feet deep. You've already paid the cost. We'll go as deep as you need us to go. May we be trustworthy to receive the gospel and may we be trustworthy to give the gospel away. In your name I pray, amen.
stand and worship with us one more time.